This is a Dynamic Network podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Max Destruction Podcast. I am Dustin, and with me, as always, is the guy who goes for nothing but low blows, Ken himself. Well, when you go low, there's only one way. That's up, baby. So you go, you start low, and then you work your way up. Uh, And it's worked out pretty well so far for me. Yeah, you know, you're finding inventive ways. I can say that. That much but uh week you know we got a fun episode planned but we have what is called wham um and this was ken's wham i guess you know giving a character each week to see who would be a good matchup and we asked the audience and you guys on instagram go ahead and you give us your top answers and this week's character was this week's wham you're, you're not doing it right. It's wham for uh, for for this week. It's Harley Quinn. Uh, so the Margot Robbie version, uh, of course, because we try to go movies as much as possible. Uh, and we've actually gotten a, a, a smattering of answers, which I thought were pretty cool. Uh, Coffee, who was Pam Greer's character uh, from the movie Coffee, uh, which I had seen a really long time ago, back when I was watching like. All of those seventies uh, black exploitation movies—they call them—they uh, were they were they were outstanding. And Pam Greer was was a smoke show back in the day. Uh, Dark Man. Uh, so we got a Liam Neeson pick, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the Crow, which uh, may or may not have already been done in our third episode uh, when we faced him up against uh, Dean Winchester. Excuse me. Yeah, it was Dean Winchester. Thank you. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it's probably one of our more memorable. It definitely is one of our top cited episodes uh, for this podcast. Uh, Domino from Deadpool 2, uh, also just her character as usual, which I think would probably pair very well, kind of like we just did with Indiana Jones and Jack Sparrow, where Harley just kind of seems to have that insane luckiness uh, mm-hmm. that that could serve her well. And Domino, that is Domino. Domino is just lucky. Uh, we got from our one of our partner podcasts on the Dynamite Network, uh, Zach from Sinjoa World, uh, cited Baby Doll from Sucker Punch, uh, which that is a movie I've not watched in a long time. Another Zack Snyder uh, classic. Uh, my wife actually posted Gamora, so that's how we know uh, she actually listens to this, so that's great. Uh, and then finally, uh, my dad said he would fight uh, Harley Quinn, uh, <laughs> which uh, I'm only citing these two because, one, it's kind of hilarious, and two, my dad would get his ass beat, and it would be great. Uh, so I'm not real sure who your favorite out of that one is, Dustin, uh, but I am excited to see it. Yeah, um, I think some of my favorites were... Gamora for sure and Domino and Baby Doll. I like all those answers, but I think I think your dad. I think your dad should be should be the one to fight. 
Yeah, so I'll have to figure out how to get the stats for him, uh, but we'll just go ahead and say uh, obnoxiously rolling low. Uh, he's getting older <laughs> up, uh, so uh, maybe in his heyday, uh, he'd still get his ass beat, but that's okay. Uh, I appreciate it, Dad, so keep keep it, keep it on keeping it on, and uh, if you wonder where I get all of my sly wit, uh, definitely not from him. It was the milkman. Oh, Okay. Well, with that out of the way and another wham down or wham, uh, I, I, I got to learn to say it right. We are going to get into the main event and Ken has a very interesting tale of the cocoa butter for us. Right. So it is our 15th episode, Dustin. Uh, we did it. Uh, we, we, we have crossed the threshold of another fiver down which is outstanding uh and because we are at our 15th episode we decided instead of doing a matchup uh because they actually enjoyed us going through leon the professional so much and reviewing it uh you know movie that came out in the late 90s uh and obviously people were just clamoring for how we would review this movie we decided to do another movie review which is what we're going to probably start doing on every fiver uh this week we are reviewing Robocop. And no, I don't mean that piece of trash from 2014. I'm talking about the amazing film Majesty from 1987. Uh, it, it definitely was was one of those up there with uh, with everything that I hold dear. Uh, so that's why we decided to go with this one. Actually, we didn't decide. You guys decided with our poll. So we really appreciate that. And we're going to keep going. Um, so as Dustin said, we're going to go into the tale of the cocoa butter, which normally means that we're going to break down our characters bios and then, you know, explain a little bit about their equipment and abilities. But because we're not doing that here, I'm stealing from a previous podcast where I go through the five W's of the film. So the who, what, where, when, and why. So RoboCop, which again was released in 1987, which was a great year for many reasons, uh, namely which uh, that was the year I was spawned, which was pretty awesome, uh, was was directed by Paul Verhoeven. So if you've not if you don't recognize that name, uh, let me go ahead and throw in Total Recall, uh, the uh, Hollow Man uh, from the early 2000s um, and. You know, pretty much anything cool when it came from action genre. Uh, It was shot, uh, according to the film, in Detroit, uh, but it's terrible Detroit and really was shot in Dallas, Texas, which kind of comes in later when we talk about the the structures, which is very interesting. It's like one of the first films I realized they don't shoot it where they say that they do things. Like, why does New York always look like Vancouver? Uh, and, um, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. 
of course, the cast, Paul uh, Peter Weller uh, as RoboCop. He is never not going to be RoboCop, or as I like to call him, the guy who played Buckaroo Banzai, uh, who then became way more superior in RoboCop. Uh, Nancy Allen, uh, Ronnie Cox is Dick Jones. We just kind of talked about him a little bit with our Axel Foley uh, fight. Uh, and then finally, the one I'll pull out is Kurtwood Smith. Uh, who plays Clarence Boddicker, but uh, if you ever watch that 70s show, Red Foreman is is the guy. Uh, so as far as you know, other things that this movie really pulls out is it is quintessentially the 80s genre of, of, of action movie meets really crappy sci-fi, uh, and it kind of catapulted itself above and beyond where that genre came from. And I'm really excited to review it. I know Dustin was very excited to watch the movie again, uh, so I'll turn it over to him with his initial thoughts. Yeah, so it has been... Years since I watched RoboCop, I grew a Sosborn in the early 90s, and I remember watching the really uh, one season show of RoboCop, the TV series. And then I found out there's movies later on in life and I watched the movies and rewatching this. I realized that um, if they don't polish special effects after so many years, they, they're they're rough. Some of these special <laughs> effects were really, really rough. But I did not remember it being as bloody as it was either. Like arms getting blown off, multiple bullet holes going through people. Like it was like hyper violent, hyper action. Like this is why we do the podcast is movies like this, where it's just nothing but ridiculous explosions and over the top damage that make no sense for what they are doing and somehow surviving those incidents. It's just crazy. Red Foreman, I'm just going to keep referring to him as that because. I'm a huge that 70s fan um, was awesome in this movie. Just seeing him be this bad guy, throwing people out of cars, having zero remorse. I was just waiting for him to call somebody a dumbass, but it never happened. This movie, no, like, I don't know, yeah. all nostalgia. <laughs> no, instead he said things like, can you fly, Bobby? Like, that's probably one of my favorite lines of this film, uh, just because it, it's it's so off the wall. And and yes, as I rewatched this film, uh, I actually had my 13 year old sitting next to me. I was like, oh, sweetheart, you know, today, dad is going to introduce you to RoboCop. And then that first Ed 209 scene occurred. Uh, and that's when I paused it and said, sweetheart, you are more than welcome to go ahead and leave when you want. Now, again, recognize <laughs> I watched this film probably when I was like five or six, uh, which, again, really kind of leads to how our generation is just so desensitized to these things. Um, and that we really just pick up the nostalgia of like, oh, my God. Yeah, look at him. He's going to twirl the gun. He's going to twirl. Oh, my God. How many rounds did they use on this man? And he's just flopping around and getting just blown apart. It's ridiculous. And, you know, it really kind of quite makes you question, you know, parenting choices. Yeah, that's exactly my thought is like my parents let me watch stuff like this all the time growing up. And I, I remember thinking back then, like, oh, it's not that bad. I watched it here. And my kid came out I'm like, you, you, you got to go. You're six. You leave. Leave the room, please. Yeah, it's it's those wonderful uh, generational changes that uh, we here at the Max Destruction podcast like to bring about. You know, we're we're all fun, but the seriousness of of graphic violence, nudity, and, and destruction really just kind of brings home the fact that 
yeah, maybe we should wash these things, but you know, it made us better people. I'm just going to say that, you know, it made, it made us stronger and better people. Uh, however, as a slight tangent, cause you kind of brought it up during your, your opening that you watched the series first and then realized that there were movies. Like yeah. I remember when RoboCop came to, you know, rip the steel door off of a cage. And I think it was sting that was caught uh, in it in WCW yeah, so. like it was like RoboCop 3 was when that came you know I remember the cartoon RoboCop you know the, the, it's all those things that you're like maybe uh, maybe marketing was a, was a little off too you know yeah, just like just yeah. a, a little bit yeah I remember having RoboCop toys when I was a kid like and watching this movie I'm like what why <laughs> Why? Why are you marketing this? That the, you are what's wrong. But you know, again, like I said, I think it. I think it brings up you know the 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 nostalgia of the time when you know we we were left to our own devices, and maybe it was a good thing. And you know, maybe maybe we sit back and go, yeah, I probably could have waited a couple more years before I saw that. <laughs> You know, somehow I was allowed to watch this, but I was completely not allowed to watch app, you know, uh, American Pie until I was 16. You know, let's let's figure these things out. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I would say that, but uh, I was allowed and I don't know why I was like, I think fifth grade, the first time I watched an American Pie movie. So my, my parents standards on what I was allowed to watch were very minimal. So if you guys hadn't realized, Max Destruction has now become a therapy session between myself and, and <laughs> Dustin. And I think we're becoming better people, uh, obviously. We are. Uh, yeah. Uh, but back to the action of this film. Uh, so I don't think we're going to go through the entire film because that would be a long, long podcast of me just minutely ripping apart pieces and chunks as we go along. Uh, so I think what we'll do instead, Dustin, is do you have any highlights that you want to bring up? And I, I figure we'll kind of go back and forth on that. Uh, and then maybe uh, we'll talk about the weapon systems that were employed in this because they are pretty cool. And I think they're uh, a character onto themselves for this film. Oh, yeah, they definitely are. So I had a few few highlights. One of them was actually like a kind of like the sentimental moment of the movie of when he's going through his old house and he's like having flashbacks of his actual life. And they were supposed to like erase his memory. And I don't know, I could overlook some of the crappy uh, special effects because this is a movie from 87 and I find those more funny now than anything. I can't believe when I was a kid, like I took those serious, but I'm blaming bubble TVs, but yeah, the (laughs) sentimental moment going through his house and just remembering all of his family and everything and kind of like realizing who he was before. And also I really like the part where uh, he gets all the steel dropped on him and red Foreman's like laughing. I'm like, ha ha ha, we got you. And then his partner straight up shoots what looks like a sniper rifle, but apparently is a rocket launcher and blows up the entire crane that his partner was in. Yeah, I will get into the the weapons a little bit more, you know, because uh, definitely enhanced uh, some of the lethality of them. But uh, you know, again, you, you suspend belief. I mean, that it, it, it is the funny part of it. Like, we have absolutely no issue with the fact that they turned a you know dead man into a cyborg, and that he's going around and doing the things that he's doing. 
it's when we look at a gun and go, there's no way that could do that. Like there's so many things above and beyond that, that we probably should get into. Uh, but we won't because we love the film. Uh, and I do, I a hundred percent agree with you. This film was not meant to be watched in 4k. Uh, it was not meant to be watched in HD. I probably should have pulled my old console TV out uh, and watched the VHS as as God intended it, uh, because that was the way it was it was filmed. Uh, uh, the suit, like RoboCop suit, I think holds up for the most part, being that it is from the you know mid '80s. The fact that it still looked good. I think is more of a testament to Peter Weller's acting uh, than it is for any effects that were going on. I mean, the dude had to drop like another 30 pounds. Like he's a small guy, but he had to drop another 30 pounds to fit in the suit. Like I had these uh, Anthony Dan- uh, Daniels vibes, like C3PO vibes for him. Like he had to fit in the suit. He had to move a certain way. Uh, and, and, and as again, a little trivia aside, Peter Weller was miserable, absolutely miserable for about the first four weeks of filming because one, he had to be in the suit all the time Two, he had to walk around and move like a robot. And nobody really knew how to do that except for the guys that, you know, made the robot dance uh, and sticks, uh, obviously sticks. Um, but, you know, he had to, you know, go and train himself to do that and just absolutely. And, and it was terrible to work with. You know, after a while, he actually got his ass, you know, kicked a couple of times by, you know, the director, the producers and other cast members. Like, hey, man, you know, it's this is what you're going to make it. And then I think you can see the switch in the film. Like you can see where it's really, really robotic. And he's like barely delivering the lines to like, sinking his teeth into the lines and making something that probably shouldn't have been as great a scene uh, as far as dialogue, you know, and making it his own. Like, I remember the uh, the scene where he comes up on Emilio again after he becomes Robocop, you know, and he's remembering this dude, you shooting him with a shotgun and, and, you know, remembering all the little things that he said. Uh, The fact that he's able to bite into those those mechanical scene, you know, uh, you're dead or alive, you're coming with me, saying with the exact same tone, but, you know, punchy. You know, very punchy on it. And like, I remember those scenes fluently, but going back and watching them again, it's like, holy shit, that guy is a hell of an actor. And I'm sad that he never really did anything other than these films. It's all he needed to do. Okay. (laughs) It's fair. It's hundred (laughs) percent fair. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I I definitely enjoyed rewatching this movie. Um, I had some good laughs with some of the special effects. Like, I think you're supposed to take it serious when he's fighting the, uh, what is it? Ed two or whatever. Yeah, two oh nine. Yeah, at two oh nine, and you just see him running away, and I'm like, this looks like it could be a cartoon. <laughs> like he's like all hobbling away, but no, um, it was really cool. And I'm wondering if the suit was mostly like had to have been mostly practical for it to look that good still this many years later. And oh, yeah. he did do a good job. He definitely did sound overly robotic at the start, and then he got a little more comfortable at the end of the movie, and you could see that. It also seemed to change after he could show half of his face again. 
Yeah, I remember watching that as a kid, and that was the one that the part that freaked me out. Nothing before, nothing, you know, <laughs> none of the gore, but him taking off his mask and showing like half a face that freaked me out as a kid, you know. But and then again, yeah, having the practicality of effects really shows, you know, these newer directors that are doing movies, you know, big budget Marvel DC films. If they can go practical, it looks so much better on the screen. Even if the suit itself isn't great, you can tell when somebody is acting through CGI and when they're actually in the suit. You know, it, it changes mm-hmm. the way they move. Um, and I think if, if people lean into that, they tend to do better. And I think it shows when you're talking about box office, you know, success. You know, if you, if you take films that... The, the original Iron Man, like the practical effects that they had to do with the original Iron Man suit versus where he was at in Civil War or even Endgame. You know, I don't definitely was not in a practical suit for 90 percent of that. You could see the difference. Uh, you, you know, box office might have been better, but I think, you know, the, the public loved that movie more. Um, you know, that's why the jokes about, better. Yeah, that's why the jokes about, you know, Batman not being able to turn his head. Uh, for years, you know, I mean, almost 20 years of him not being able to move his head because practically he couldn't. Yeah, he he shifted his shoulders. It's all he really needed to do. Uh, and you know, having that joke come up during the Dark Knight trilogy and then, then solving that problem, uh, I think it really kind of it moves to that. And it's because of films like these where they had to understand the practical effects really kind of showed and then the limitations on the human body for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it makes me think of, I don't know if you ever saw it, but the Swamp Thing television series, they used yep. practical for all their suits and they looked absolutely phenomenal. Definitely. And that's why I, I like practical. When they can use practical, definitely go practical. So the Ed 209, of course, was stop motion uh, animation, which is cool. Kind of a cool callback for me to go back. Like it makes me want to go back and watch like Clash of the Titans, you know, and those those really hokey stop motion you know animated pieces mixed with human being actors is is really cool like i remember him falling down the stairs which was like even more hilarious now uh to me where you know it was a dramatic stressful experience as a kid but now it's like i watch him fall down because he can't walk downstairs (laughs) um and i think that really just goes to show you know how 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 terrible we are we have become as human beings that we laugh at the the failures of that kind of stuff. Um, of course, I think Nancy Allen, you know, being Lewis, the fact that she was the one the one actress that stayed with it almost the entirety of the series, uh, and just kind of goes, you know, she, she made that that character her own. And based on what I've seen and read, that that character was not supposed to have the lasting power it did. I, it was kind of a one-off, you know, oh, she was the partner or whatever. But I think having Nancy Allen and having her act the way she did and be able to get involved in the character uh, really helped. Yeah, she was definitely one of the better actors throughout the movie. And she she nailed her part. She definitely pulled that, like, uh, kind of that emotional attachment when she, like, realizes who he is and trying to figure out what happened to him and then helping him like a true partner should, even though they were only partners for, I believe that morning, but and and that was the piece I was going to hit. Like, if you really think about it, this is a film about the worst first days somebody could ever have on a job. Like it's Murphy's first day. 
on the job and then he gets involved in this and gets blown up, blown away. And then that poor penny dude, uh, in the beginning that gets blown away by ed two Oh nine. That was his first meeting. Like it's my first day. I'm going to make a great impression. And then he gets blown up, you know? So, you know, it just goes to show don't, don't have a first day in this, in this universe and you'll probably be okay. Um, yeah. So other than those parts, uh, I, I, normally I would kind of go into tactics and procedures like, hey, maybe this is realistic. And there was none. Uh, Dustin and I were talking about this before <laughs> the show started. There was really no tactics involved in this film whatsoever. Uh, it's all camp and for for the movie, which I think is amazing and part of the charm. Uh, you know, but there was there was zero. So really, I think what we could focus on instead, Dustin, is our favorite guns. Did you have a favorite gun out of this film? Oh, it's got to be RoboCop's gun. Like, I love that pistol. The like, I don't know if it was a full auto or if it was like a burst fire. It seemed like it was more of a burst fire. That thing was sick. And he was like blowing targets in half with it. It was flipping awesome. I love the gun. Just a little twirl and then putting it in his leg. Iconic. So because I'm I'm the I'm the gun freak. For that I am, I actually went into uh, it's that you anybody can go onto this. Actually, it's called the Movie Firearm Internet Database. Uh, they are incredible, and I will give them a shout out because they are like the Wikipedia of all firearms for every movie. Uh, and I found that they are pretty damn consistent. Uh, so as far as RoboCop's gun, it's the Beretta 93R, which has got a lot of enhancements. The Beretta, basic Beretta nine millimeter that everybody has seen from every movie from uh, lethal weapon on uh it was also uh our uh our sidearm uh with the military for over 30 years uh we just moved on to the sig thank god because i hate the beretta um but it has spanned all all films uh for the longest time it was actually called the auto nine in the film uh so according to the fictional history of this gun yes it was fully auto but uh robocop could pull the trigger in such a way that it would only fire a three-round burst um which doesn't really work mechanically but whatever it's robocop he can do what he wants uh, the very interesting thing about this is they went with this gun instead of the Desert Eagle 50 caliber, which is the gun that the the poor schmuck uh, in the meeting, uh, he was carrying that big chrome 50 caliber, which is super heavy. Trust me, you can't fire it the way that some of these guys are firing, but whatever. And it's also the gun that Clarence Bodiger had. Uh, he had one that was enhanced with a extended barrel that he could put a silencer on. Putting a silencer on a 50 caliber pistol might be overkill, and uh, it doesn't work the way people think silencers do, but I was so happy to see that he put a silencer on when dealing with a guy that just snorted cocaine off a stripper's ass. You know, you, you got you got to do what you got to do. It's very 80s, uh, the way it rolls. Um, so, but for my personal favorite weapon is actually the sniper rifle that you were talking about. It's actually the Barrett 50 caliber uh, sniper rifle made to look cooler um, using, they called it the Cobra Assault Cannon. 
using high explosive incendiary rounds to make that gigantic explosion happen every time. Now, I'll tell you, a regular 50 caliber round by itself will do a lot of damage. It'll pull, put a hole whatever it needs to. Uh, however, they were able to enhance the ammunition to make it explode on contact, which then meant that they could blow up cars with impunity but only blow up the shop window of another shop when they for the bad guys first get it. Uh, and then, of course, yes, when Lewis blows up the entire crane with one of the assholes uh, attached to it uh, with the gun, which is kind of badass. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that they they pay, they basically just put like a flashlight on top of it. And it's like, oh, that's the scope. We're good to go. Uh, because people didn't really care about how it looked as much as what was going to happen, just like any other 80s movie. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the only you other go thing boom, we happy. Exactly. Not only that, but it looks cool on screen. Uh, and the fact that they were able to pull it off, hey, you know, m- more power to you. What I will say is that the the armor on this film did an outstanding job of variations on the same weapon. So they had like five different types of Uzis. They had six different types of shotguns. Uh, and all of them looked thematically cool, uh, but none of them fired the way that they'd actually fire. What you notice and what I noticed in the film and you know, my wife notices because I tell her uh, is that there is absolutely no muzzle rise. So when you fire a gun, the first thing that happens is the bullet goes out and ex- the explosive gas goes out. Guess what happens every single time your entire gun's going to point upwards because all that gas is pushing back against you. If you notice in this film, not a single person moved their hands. It stayed horizontal, which meant that they all have better grip than Tom Cruise, which is not physically possible. I've done the science on this. He has the greatest grip strength of any person, man, beast, thing on the planet. I don't know. Robocop's grip was pretty strong, too, in this. And he, he could crush a man's hand. And yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he could. And he, he had that, the barrel. that cool spike thing that had absolutely no reason to look as badass as it did for its intended purpose. I mean, really, it's yeah. a USB drive, but it's a giant foot long spike, you know, because reasons. Uh, why not? You need a melee weapon. I'm, I'm all about it. Um, and in the future, they decide instead of keeping things safe and USB friendly, let's do a spike for putting into computers. I'm actually all for it. I would really love that. Personally, if I could walk around with a one and a half foot long steel spike and that is what I use to jack into computers, uh, I would totally do that. Uh, I don't think they would like that in my my world uh, because they try to not give us weapons any more than they actually have to because just so everyone's aware, uh, the army does not fix stupid. Uh, it, It really just kind of enhances stupid. Uh, so stupid people exist, uh, and therefore you try to minimize the amount of risk that these individuals can go through. Uh, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> Dustin, is there anything else you want to hit on for the film before we move on to our destruction spectrum? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I think we covered all my favorite parts. Perfect, perfect. Now, because we did not do a match, there was no real data stream and really kind of understanding the damage potential, uh, you know, scientifically. So this is a completely objective or subjective uh, method of doing the damage spectrum, which is if you were to take some of the fights and we'll just go with the last fight. 
between RoboCop, Clarence Boddicker, and the existing members of his clan. Uh, if you were to take that last fight, and instead of it being in Dallas, Texas, I mean Detroit, uh, what would you say would happen if you were to take that fight and put it on our Brooklyn street uh, with our fair deli man, uh, Giovanni? Uh, he actually has a name because we'll hit on that as soon as this is over. But how do you feel like it would fare uh, on our spectrum? I feel like uh, Giovanni would be rebuilding. I feel like this would um, hit some of our upper limits because we haven't had a explosive snipers before. So I'm going to I'm, I'm shooting for a four like that's that block that it's getting wrecked. It's just not it's not good for anyone nearby. I mean, not only that, but there's also like a ra- radioactive mutant dude that's getting like blown oh, up yeah. by a truck because, uh, you know, they're just giant, you know, thousand gallon tubs of radioactive waste just hanging out. I mean, that's that's the way we roll uh, in in hazardous material safety now. Uh, so Giovanni's shop, uh, unfortunately, is probably getting pretty messed up. So, yeah, I would go like a three and a half to a four on this one. Uh, just for the simple fact of there's just a ton of carnage going on here. Um, Dustin, you have Wham! This week, my friend. Who is it that our audience is going to be putting up uh, to fight? Okay, so this is one of my favorite movies. I am going with Bobby Lee Swagger or Mark Wahlberg from the movie Shooter. Of course, it's your favorite. I hate this movie so much, but whatever. Um, Good. But it makes it's me okay like it even more. Because we we did kind of forget a part in RoboCop, and it does kind of fit. So, audience members, if you want to throw up a person that could shoot Bob Lee Swagger in the nether regions like RoboCop does to the potential rapist, you'll get a cookie. I will send you a cookie. So you need to send somebody that can do that. So guys, definitely hit our Instagram, hit our email, hit our Facebook, uh, and, and answer that question for us. Uh, I'm very tempted to see who uh, Dustin thinks is worthy uh, to take on Mark Wahlberg in this fight. No one. Uh, yeah, he thinks so. Uh, but before we go, Dustin, this is episode 15. We had a, an awesome time reviewing a movie instead of doing a, a, a match. We didn't really get to go very feisty against each other. Um, I think that's probably because we're getting like used to just it being me and you. Like every single week, it's just me and you. Uh, so I fixed that. Uh, I called in a few favors. Uh, and uh, we got a hold of Giovanni. Giovanni, our deli man from the Destruction Deli, uh, will start maybe adding his two cents in uh, starting next episode. So if you guys want to hear more about deli man Giovanni uh, and how he is feeling about all the things that we've been doing to him, uh, please stick around for next episode. Uh, I'm excited. Dustin is very excited because um, 90% of the time it's Dustin's fault. Like I have nothing to do with what's going on here. Uh, So Dustin, get ready. Uh, So there's going to be somebody else that feels the way I do about how you've been treating this poor, poor man and his fifth generation deli. So with all that being said, Dustin, you have anything else for our audience before we get out of here? Sometimes it takes being a great villain like myself 
to make true hero shine. And I'm not saying Ken's a hero. I heard that Ken's the hero out of this. Obviously, uh, if we're talking heroes and villains, uh, I am not. I'm like an anti-hero. You're like a bad, bad guy. I'm like the, the a good er villain. We'll go with because uh, nobody wins in this except our audience. Uh, so thank you guys. Uh, continue listening. We'll put this out at a normal time uh, for our next fight, though. Dustin, I think we got to figure out who is going to be who. Uh, so I almost forgot that, which, I mean, that's just terrible, terrible things for me. Uh, so, Dustin, we have... Okay. Let's see here. Sorry about that. Oh, yes. Sarah Connor versus Ellen Ripley. So, another week of badass chicks. Uh, probably the quintessential sci-fi fight. Uh, of the age with Terminator versus Alien. So call it in the air, my friend. Okay, heads. It is heads. Mm, okay. I am going to go Sarah Connor. Nice choice. I don't think there's a wrong choice in this, so I can't I wait, don't think so either. Uh, to, to fight uh, someone who thinks they're going to take care of the future by killing a few robots. With someone that beat the fuck out of an alien queen. Not once, but twice. But fine. We'll get into that later. Uh, Guys, thanks for listening, and keep on keeping on. See ya.